man. You know what song we could use right here, Brad? What you want? I would love a little Prince. I think that I think the song Kiss is one of the greatest songs ever. We've had this kind of conversation, right, with a friend of a friend of ours, Josh. Yes. I know you might be listening. That Prince rules. Uh-huh. And do you agree, Corey? Prince, of course I of so, course. Prince it's rules. It's amazing, yeah. right? Who, how does somebody not like Prince? Who, I don't understand it. Who doesn't like Prince? Josh. Josh. I don't want to say his last name on no, this podcast. No, I'm trying to, because I don't want him to get mad at me, because he knows, but you know, the, that's shaming, right? The Josh that, that we all know. Yes. Josh, that Josh. Yeah, I that can't, Josh. I really can't get over it. Are you no, kidding me? Dynasty what is that dude's problem? Josh, Josh, what is your problem? If you're listening, let me know what your problem is. <laughs> I mean, I could see some of it, right? Like, you know, it gets Prince gets a little jam bandy at times. He's also incredibly prolific. I mean, there's a long list of stuff, right? You're probably not going to like some of it, but there's some really incredible damn music. He's right? one of the yeah. best guitar players who's ever lived. Sure. Are you kidding me? Listen, I mean, you're preaching the choir right now. Like, I don't understand, especially if you know the kind of music Josh likes, half of it comes from yeah. the fact that Prince existed. Right. <sighs> Outrageous. Well, you know what's nice is that all the, this whole time you're going to have a little Prince in the background for us. So oh, yeah. you can judge for yourself. Anyway, this is the Prince podcast, the official <laughs> Prince podcast called The Purple One. What would your Prince podcast be called, Corey? Uh, it would be an unpronounceable symbol. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Lisa and Wendy, do they have a do they have a Prince podcast? They should. They should have a, they should have their own Lisa and Wendy podcast. I'd yeah, listen to that. I would listen to it too. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Lisa and Wendy or Prince or Bad Mouth Josh any more than we just did. Sorry, Josh. We are here to talk about the movie. This is the Side Talks podcast, and that's what we do here more or less. I'm trying to do like a Prince thing, but it's not No, you you're it, pulling it off. Yeah. Wow. We needed an old classic. Coming in hot. It's been a minute. It has. It's been a minute. Okay, so I'm about to describe a film for you. I found this one. I pulled this one from the bowels of the internet. Okay. okay? Uh, And watched about a 45-second clip. So I don't know if you're going to get it or not. Okay. And what I can tell you is the dude who's in the scene, and there is only one person, dude who's in the scene... Didn't wasn't familiar to me. You tend to know every actor that's alive, so you're probably going to recognize him. But I'm going to start by not telling you who he is, even right. though I don't find him to be a recognizable face. Okay. So I drop in the middle of this thing. I'm assuming this is early on in the film, but I don't I don't know for sure. It yeah, you know, 30 minutes in would be my guess, but again, I don't know. And this is fairly recent. Like it's not you know, it's not yesterday, but it's also not terribly long ago. Okay. Okay. And there's a dude outside in the woods. In the woods. He's a youngish guy, like. I'd say high school-ish, maybe okay. college-ish, sort of hoodie, you know, dressed like a Zuckerberg. And he's setting up a lamp and a table with the, some shit all outside as if like a living room situation is being set up. And there's these sort of like, it's really pretty. There's light coming through the trees and there's like little, you know, you can see sort of little stuff hitting the light and he's holding up his hands and there's like lines of, I guess, electricity or some kind of, you know, Huh. Some kind of visual effect coming off his hands. Not a great visual effect either. Mm-hmm. And he then s- sort of shakes his hand and looks at it. So this is clearly some kind of new fixation that he's having with whatever's going on with his little body. And he picks up a cord, and the cord immediately causes the clock to spin. It's one of his old 1970s like dial clocks. Why that would be there, I don't know, but it spins. And then he sort of shakes his hand at something and 
kind of energy comes off it and the lamp, you know, fritzes like that. Yeah. And then he goes, man, this is freaking awesome. But then he things get start getting out of control and he's sort of that, that flicking his hand and his hand catches the lamp on fire. The lamp explodes and he's like, I don't think he actually says fuck, but it's like a f- like wanting to say fuck. So I'm guessing PG, PG-13 kind of situation because they don't want to use the F word. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is, is this is this shot in the in a found footage style? No. Okay. It's not. Uh-huh. Nice, you know. It's fairly high fairly contrast lighting. Basic stable camera yeah. work. Yes, very typical, very traditional. Hmm. If you can't get it, I'm going to tell you who the guy is because okay. you still may not get it because it's not like when I'm like, oh, well, that guy is Tom Cruise, Ben Wenzel. Wenzel. Do you know this person, Wenzel? W-I-N-C-H-E-L-L. I've never heard of this man. Oh, wow. I've got him. Ben I've got Winchell, him on the run. Who is a youngish man in He's a, a youngish forest. man. He's a youngish man in what I would say is 2010. 2010. No, 2016. 2016. So, yeah. So, this film is from 2016. So, is this, is this a high dollar picture or an independent? Oh, I bet it's a high dollar picture. I bet they spent some money on this little nightmare of a beast of a bit is this is this a superhero movie could be i don't know definitely an action film well as a matter of fact i found it by by the google search what were the worst action films of 20 of 2016 i think it is or i might have put in 2010 and this came up that's what it seems like why this would have come up i don't know because i do believe it's from 2016 all right well you're you're running out of time yeah well you know what listeners don't love listening to somebody think yeah. So this is a film called Max Steel. Oh yeah. 2016. Have you ever heard of this? <laughs> well, I've heard of it. This is like a toy movie. This was. This oh. is like an action figure movie. I had no idea. Um, that no, I didn't see this shit. Um, Ben Winchell. Winchell. And this is the lead of a motion picture released yes. in theaters. Yes, and I mean I will tell you that. The bit, the budget looks significant. I'm not going to say it. You know, it it looked like a great film, but it, the budget looked like they had some money. Well, you beat anyway, me here. I mean, I didn't get that Max at all. Steel. I didn't see that movie. I barely remember this movie exists. Yeah. Certainly never heard of its star. It, wow. It's been a minute. I really needed to because you've been you've been kind of going on fumes a bit. There's been a lot of you had to have the actor's name. You had to. So okay, this what this does is this knocks you down. This is a this little. This gives you a chance to get your you know get your shit together and come back ready to answer some questions. In my defense, <laughs> who the fuck has ever heard of Max Steele? I don't know. Have you guys ever heard of Max Steele in in the booth in there? No. Or we're, we're in the booth. I'm sorry, and out of the booth. No, neither one. No, neither yeah. Brad nor Sam. No, I don't, I don't know. You beat beats me. All right. Well, I mean, again, I did. It came up as being one of the worst. Which, wow. generally speaking, I will say, generally speaking, anytime I've had to turn one of those lists because I didn't just organically come yeah. across something, those lists tend to include not your, you know, not obscure films, right? Like Transformers. Right. It's usually that. So, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I know you'll want to take a, a closer look well, at that. Now, now. I'm going to have to watch this movie. Oh wow. That was not the message, Corey. <laughs> That's not the message. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. Well, I have actually been watching a lot of stuff lately. I have not. So I'm curious cool. to hear what you have been watching, other than The Northman, of course. We talked about that in the last episode. Yeah, I don't see any reason to go on and on about how awesome The Northman is. It, 
usually you come in and you're like, look at the 20 films I've seen yeah. in the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, ah, you know, I've watched this episode of uh, Pillow Talk or whatever. <laughs> this, the, what, 30 Day Fiance, 90 Day Fiance, Pillow Talk. But I have a couple for you. Okay. One of which I, I've i already mentioned, which was Vision Quest. And I don't need to spend uh-huh. any more time on it because I did talk about it in a, in a previous episode. And another of which I don't need to spend any time on because it is not good. Okay. And that is the unbearable... Unbearable weight, weight of massive of talent. massive talent. I didn't like this either. It was tough. It was tough to get through. What pisses me off about it is they had a, I mean, I, sold on the concept. Yeah, sure. Saw fun the, concept. Meta fun, con, fun concept. Everybody really wants Nick Cage to do just this. This mm-hmm. is what we've been pushing on him forever, this sort of meta whole deal. And making fun of himself and embracing it and all this kind of stuff. We want him to do this. And so the concept's kind of fun. I got to the trailer and I went, eh. Okay, well, this isn't what I would have done, and I don't think it's good, but we'll give it a chance. Went there and actually took my class. That was their final exam. We got to go Fun. see a film together, and that's what they voted for over everything, everywhere, all the time, over the Northman. I mean, over everything. They they voted for this particular film. All right. And we all kind of <laughs> left like, ah, that was loud. Yeah, I mean, it's not a particularly interestingly made movie. The jokes are all kind of obvious. It doesn't, you know, it's cute, the interplay between Cage and Pedro Pascal, his primary co-stars, it's it's cute, it's got some nice moments, it's got some jokes, but it never really captures what I like about Nicolas Cage. Uh, Nicolas Cage is probably my favorite actor, if I had to put a pin in that. I, I love Nicolas Cage, but what I love most about Nicolas Cage is that I never know what I'm going to get from a Nicolas right. Cage performance. Well, you know now. You know from the trailer well, everything yes. you're going to get. Uh, unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is exactly what Nicolas Cage usually isn't, which is predictable. Right. Everything, every right. beat in this movie you can see coming from a mile away. Right. And that includes, you know, character beats from, you know, Nicolas Cage playing a character who's Loosely Nicholas, not really Nicholas Cage, but loosely Nicholas Cage. Honestly, like the most sort of damning thing I can say about it is that this this is the first movie I have seen that feels like it was based on a series of internet memes. Oh, agreed. Um, oh, totally. And, and there's agreed. there's nothing there's nothing else substantive about it. It's cute. It's diverting. I don't think I disliked it quite as much as you did, but ultimately, it just doesn't. It's not. I guess I'm. I, think- I don't know. Similar, similar to sometimes where your disappointment takes you with like the Northman, uh, is that like if this were directed by Spike Jones? Oh God! Right? Can Th- you imagine? That would be so freaking fun. Yeah, and so uh, so dark and so bizarre. And Spike Jones and Nicolas Cage have teamed up before to make right. an amazing meta movie. So why not have done that? Anyway, yeah. it's a, it's it's a missed opportunity in a lot of ways. But uh, so I don't need to talk about this film anymore. We already spent too much time on it. But I I want to mention a film that I saw at the Atlanta Film Festival. There was their closing oh, night cool. film. That is it that is amazing and is worthy of a little bit of talk even though I don't want to say too much because I just want everybody to go see this film, experience this film. Unfortunately, it's been acquired by Disney. Because they are getting into the documentary game. What? Really? It's a documentary, and they're getting into the documentary game. And I am going to butcher the the, the name. Is it Miha? It is Miha. So, yeah. So, so I'm saying it correctly. I didn't see this at Sundance, but I heard really, really good things about it. I love this film. Yeah. And I went into it thinking, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. I I have, as somebody who has taught documentary film for many years and seen a lot of documentaries through the process of programming a film festival and working with students and – Clearly living in the South, the topic of sort of undocumented families and undocumented workers and mm-hmm. 
and also the even a look as micro as at you know and sort of children of individuals who have who are undocumented that's come up a good bit in the content of the films that i've seen students make yeah that i've helped students make and that i've seen come through the submission process but this film does a couple of things really really different than the others and feels really special and really unique and it is incredibly well put together mm-hmm. but i think the 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 one of the most interesting aspects is it's through the lens of a young woman, the film is namesake, who is a talent agent. Right. And so she has within her community has helped a young man rise to fame and then that their sort of professional relationship comes to an end and she's she's found another individual whose name I will also probably butcher. I think it's Jack's Hot. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? No. So uh, anyway, both obviously individuals who are Hispanic, who appeal to a Hispanic audience, who mm-hmm. – um, uh, maybe I should just say uh, Latinx is probably the more appropriate way to say it. I, audience. I can't keep up with it. Yeah. Well, I'm trying my best here, everybody. And so that, that audience – so therefore, I was not as familiar. It is a very niche – approach at an audience and so it is i'm not as familiar and obviously wouldn't be because a lot of the music is in spanish and so sure anyway point is is incredibly talented individuals and the young woman she's discovered is incredibly talented and really charismatic and and incredible to watch and i think through that lens seeing seeing her struggles and seeing her align with this young woman who both are in a similar situation of Uh having parents who brought them who, who came to this country that's the way i really should say it they came to this country and had children Mm -hmm. and they are undocumented and their children are citizens of the u.s and so they're they're being looked to to acquire green cards right and that process and that pressure is really really unique and it's a it's just a really lovely beautiful upsetting but also triumphant at times sweet film that uh, deserves a big wide audience cool yeah i like i'd like to see it and because of, I think part of it is because of the throughway of this young woman being somebody who's attached to the music industry, who's had some great had a great deal of success in that world. That that part of it is really entertaining. In addition to this the sort of roller coaster ride that is that experience. So nice. highly recommended. I can totally see why Disney got it. And in in addition to it being a wonderful film, but also. People are there. There isn't a lot of there isn't a ton of content being released theatrically or heck to VOD for that matter in this country for that audience. Yes. And so, and that is in that is a massive audience. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a great, wonderful film. Good good work to the Atlanta Film Festival for selecting that one. I was actually a programmer for Atlanta this year, and that did not come across my screen. Uh, I programmed several other really wonderful or helped to program several other wonderful, lovely films. The lineup was pretty solid this year, but that was not one of them. But I was really happy that I got to see it while I was there for the festival. Well, I wish I could have gone this year. I wasn't able to make that happen. It, um, it, it hits at a, it hit, I was it, only, I mean, Corey, I went, I left on a Saturday afternoon and came back at two in the morning. Yeah. Because it hits at our, this year it hit at our closing up of the semester yeah, kind of end of the year academic year stuff. And I'm up to my neck in that right now myself, which is why I haven't watched a ton of stuff. You're up lately. to your ears and alligators. That's something that somebody <laughs> used to say that I work with. Really? I'm up to my ear. Yeah, with a southern accent that I won't do. But yeah, I'm up to um, my ears and alligators. Well, um, 
Me too. I am up to my ears in alligators, but despite that, I've, I've able I've been able to see a couple things. Um, thing number one, I just want to mention this briefly. I'm still teaching, and in my film history class today, we finished our you know split across three days viewing of Todd Haynes' Far From Heaven, uh, which is a movie I love. Um, I love that you have to split this across three classes. Well, you know, 45-minute classes, and it's slightly right. – it's not even two hours long, the film. It's not a long film. It's just just how it breaks. But, um, you know, Todd Haynes, a director we've talked about a great deal on this podcast. I, I think we're both pretty big fans of Huge Todd. Huge fan. Um, especially his film Carol from 2015. Great filmmaker. Um, Far From Heaven is his more overt play on the um, – the Douglas Sirk style technicolor melodramas of the 1950s. Uh, this is a film that that borrows the you know the language of those movies and the style of those movies uh, and tells a story that could have been told in one of those movies. In fact, it's kind of a riff on all that heaven allows. Um, but very he, much a riff on it. Yeah. Yeah, but he's able to you know in 2002 right. use. Um, well, having more modern screenplay that makes a lot of what was subtextual in those movies more overt. Um, for instance, and I'm sure that our listeners have seen this movie. It's 20 years old by this point. Um, but um, it deals with more hot-button issues like um, repression and um, uh, living life in the closet. One of the main characters, Dennis Quaid's character, is a gay man um, who is just starting to realize that despite being married yeah. to Julianne Moore. Um, and so it's it's a it's a, a story in which her family life is kind of shattered by this revelation, uh, and she finds comfort in the the arms and in the friendship of a black gardener played by Dennis Haysbert. Um, so the movie kind of tackles the sort of vicious um, judgment and and segregatory practices even amongst the good liberal citizens of Hartford, Connecticut in 1957. Uh, Julianne Moore in this movie is extraordinary. I mean, yeah. the movie is just She's one of the greats. Sizzling hot take. Uh -huh. If you are a man who's married to Julianne Moore and you think you might be gay, girl, you gay. <laughs> like, there's not a lot of girl, you like gay. <laughs> Trust me, bitch. Trust me, bitch. Because otherwise, you're not taking your hands off of Julianne Moore. Is that what you're saying? I mean, duh. I mean, I get it. Uh, Julianne anyway, Moore. Sorry to interrupt your very. Lovely description of this wonderful film. This is the least surprising thing I'm going to tell you uh, in this whole segment. But teenage Corey, when he saw this movie, oh, big crush on Julianne Moore. I big bet. crush on Julianne yeah. Moore. This and and the hours, which is you know really really like <laughs> dour, like sad filmmaking. But also I was not still what like, we're hey. supposed to learn. No, not like, not the takeaway from either too. of these like, movies. What I was not supposed to learn is I want to get with Nicole Kidman with right. that. Prosthetic nose. Anyway, whatever. Um, we're learning all sorts of learning. things from, from Julianne Moore movies look, in I'm 2002. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to be a better person. <laughs> but No, yeah. but she's she's an extraordinary actress. Um, and this is one of her better performances. Um, losing the Academy Award for Best Actress that year to Nicole Kidman in The Hours. Yeah. Um, well, you which know what? was that's a, a photo that's a, finish. That's a freaking, that's a hefty ass fight right there. Yeah. That's a hefty Because these are two really great performances. I haven't seen The Hours in a long time, but I, I loved wonder why. It. I loved it when I saw it as, <laughs> as again, as a pretentious teen. I mean, it's not a uplifting one. No. But I, 
you know, this film is, I remember when it came out and it, it was the talk of the town. Yeah. Because it is the cinematography. Everybody was like, what, how the hell did he even do that in, in this day and age? It's extraordinary. It, it is really gorgeous, gorgeous film. And, 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 in so many ways, but just the cinematography alone, even if even if for whatever reason you're like, I'll take or leave the content here, which, uh, you know, it's it's certainly very worthy. It's an incredible screenplay. But just looking at this thing yeah. is glorious. Yeah. Uh, and that lush orchestral score from Elmer Bernstein, sure. one of the greats in this, I think, was his final score. You know, he was a working composer in the 1950s. Right. And he's drawing from the work of many of his contemporaries, if not work that he did himself back then, uh, with this one final really great piece of work. So, it's a time machine of a film. Yeah, it's 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 extraordinary. I I, I love it to bits. Um, put a gun to my head. <sighs> well, it's one of my favorite Todd Haynes movies, but I'm not going to determine which is the the best. Uh, I mean, Carol, hands down, hands uh, down. Sure, hands down. I know I know you're going there. I don't know that I can go there so enthusiastically. It probably is Carol, yeah. but I love Far it From is. Heaven. It's it's Carol. Also celebrating its 20th birthday on this very day that we are recording this podcast is the great Sam Raimi's 2002 superhero epic Spider Man, a film that launched. Well, a whole lot of pale imitators, I'll tell you that much. Um, Look, say what you will about the modern superhero craze, and there is a lot to be said about, let's say, a certain lack of cinematic imagination in many of these offerings of late. Sam Raimi is one hell of a filmmaker, and he poured everything into this first Spider-Man movie. Is this this the one with, is this Tobey Maguire? This is Tobey Maguire playing against Willem Dafoe's The Green Goblin. I I liked this film when it came out. That's why when you said, do you want to fight it? I said, no, because I, I you know, I'm not going to do that because I enjoyed this film. I would, we've already fought Tobey Maguire, but I would fight that this little bitch does not need to be Spider-Man. I think he's an excellent Spider-Man because he's kind of a little bitch. Like that's, that's one of the things that makes Peter Parker, Peter Parker, I guess. Um, anyway, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, no but, reason. but it holds up splendidly. It, it actually improved simply because Sam Raimi's a real ass director. He's a real ass right. filmmaker. He's not just some jobber. They were like, here's a green screen, go nuts. Like, you know, out on location, uh, using CGI intelligently. Um, you know, this is back in 2002 where CGI was at a point where you have to use it intelligently because you can't just do anything with it. Yeah, um, and so there's a lot of practicals or at yeah. least at least basis around practicals. As a matter of fact, I think it was either this or Spider-Man 2 that my entire st- – I was working in New York when it was being shot and the building, the building that I worked in had a empty lot next to uh-huh. it. And then a building next to that. And that empty lot was being used as a gravel parking lot. You could pay, you know, $75 a day to park your car sure, or something yeah. ridiculous in New York. And that is the, the laundry scene where the swinging between the buildings. Uh, I think that might be Spider-Man 2. I think that's in Spider-Man 2, and, uh, which is but, even better than Spider-Man. But, you know, same, not not much further in the distance from the making of this one. And I uh-huh. can tell you that they closed my street. I had to show my little proof of work, you know, employment or whatever to get onto the street. And they had, I mean, that took them three weeks to shoot that damn thing. Yeah. So, but I mean, they were, you know, with they were actual all physical stunts and yeah. like tactile sets and things and like actual, that. actual, you know, actors, not just on green screen, but, know. you know, little Jakey Hall was down there. On my street. What a time to be alive. 
What oh, a boy. time to be Let alive! Let me tell indeed. you. Um, no, it, it holds up beautifully. It's it, the Raimi Spider-Man movies, not so much three. Spider-Man three is a mess, uh, and it kind of ended Raimi's time with the franchise. But Spider-Man and Spider-Man two, still two of the better superhero movies. They kind of set the standard. They've never really been equaled as far as that sort of like pop movie making is concerned. Like I would argue maybe that Christopher Nolan with his Batman movies found, you know, some thematic depth in in the superhero franchises that hasn't really been equaled even by Raimi. But um, as far as just like pure entertainment, pop filmmaking, Raimi is tops. Uh, And these Raimi Spider-Man movies are incredible and, and, you know, a big fan, have been a big fan ever since I saw them, and they blew my mind when I was a teenager, and uh, I was delighted to discover that at least the first one still holds up. Uh, one so, complaint. Uh, what, what's that? I get annoyed by the product placement. I get annoyed well, by the web going over the Dr. Pepper can yeah, and all this rot. Yeah, I know. That's, but I get it. That's, that's you know. You got to pay for these millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars somehow. And it's never as egregious as, say, you know, Michael Bay does it in the Transformers movies. But that's Michael Bay for you versus Sam Raimi. Michael Bay going to Michael Bay, Corey. Yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi making his return to theaters, by the way, um, this weekend as, the, as of the time of this recording with a Marvel movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Is anyone excited about this? I'm very excited for it. Uh. But I love that. You know, oh, I'm, a, I'm a Marvel guy. that he's excited too. All right, y'all go Look, ahead. Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi's uh, back. I love Sam Raimi. I'll go watch a few minutes of it. And remember when I fought? Didn't I fight that one film, Endgame? Yeah, because you had seen no Marvel I, I, movies I previously. I and you saw 15 minutes of it and said, this is stupid. Yeah, well. I might do that same thing again. Anyway. I, sure. To be determined. So that's what I've been watching. Well, Corey. Well, Rachel. Let's thank the listeners for listening. Hey, yeah. Thanks for listening. And uh, we're your own personal cinematic Harry Styles and Jason Sudeikis. Ooh. Am I saying Sudeikis? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you've obviously got the Styles hair. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm just more of a Ted Lasso type of dude in general. Yeah. Tucked in I shirt. I think I, I would 100% take Harry Styles over. Jason Sudeikis I would I would take Sudeikis. I would take wow. Sudeikis. Brad, where would you lean on this? Has Have either one of you seen Harry Styles? Because I was going to say, I love Sudeikis, but I'm going with Harry Styles. you got to go with Harry Styles. And yeah, I mean, thank you for the hair compliment, because he has the best hair. Listen. He's also the only dude I know uh-huh. who can absolutely pull off that whole, I don't wear a shirt, I just wear a suit jacket. Sure. When little, when your little boy in your pocket, Timothy Chalamet, does that, it's like, Bleh. You know, I can't stand it. And I'm like, put a shirt on, worm. But 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 when, <laughs> but when Harry, <laughs> but when Harry Styles does it, I'm like, that looks good, dude. That looks you're looking good. Obviously, Harry Styles at the moment, sort of the preeminent global sex symbol. Yeah. Um, she pretty. Yeah, you know, gorgeous looking man. Sure, no complaints there. I'm sure he's delighted with life. Every day he gets so, up and is like, thank. Thank fuck. I'm Harry Styles and I look like yeah, this. I look like this and I just smell. I bet he smells good just like any day of the week. But you know what? Jason Sudeikis, you know, good looking dude himself, doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, you I'm know, not going to no argue complaints. that. But I will say, like, nobody really wants their ex to 
end up with fucking Harry Styles. Do you know what I mean? No, like, that is no, a like, nightmare that is, scenario. That Are you kidding me? That is a nightmare scenario. Yeah. That is fucking that's, that's, hard. That's rough. But I hope he takes comfort in any number of of millions of other women who who like <laughs> Ted Lasso well, and, and who also, would like to you know sleep with Ted Lasso. That's true. And also Jason Sudeikis. Corey's arms are open for you if you need a hug. That's right. He's, he loves you. We can hang out. We can watch uh, Spider-Man movies. We can talk about, um, I don't know, comic books. But sorry, uh, bro, that's a hard hit. Because the other thing about Harry Styles, too, is that you don't just – it's not just that he's gorgeous and looks like that and is talented and all this other stuff and he's rich and blah, blah, blah. But he also – everybody says it. He's like this really stand-up gentleman who's done – you know, who can do no no wrong. He's yeah. like very, very polite and lovely, <sighs> has that fucking accent. Only ta- – o- only – Mama Tay has said a couple of words, but even that is tempered with he's not the worst on her list. He's really not. <laughs> not let's face the worst. <laughs> um, that would be who? Is that still Jake? Oh, I think Jake is is the absolute shit. But I think that there's one worse than Jake. And y'all know who that is. His uh, body is not a wonderland. John oh, Mayer. Oh, I damn. forgot she fucking dated John Mayer. That douchebag of a human being is every, on everyone's right, shit but list. Look, yeah. I don't want to disparage Taylor Swift. But, yeah. like, you go into a relationship with John Mayer, what do you expect? Why would you get me started on this? Why are you poking a bear with a stick? Why, what? I, I look at it more like this. When you what, are, what when, she, was she hypnotized well, by when she No, but she was, yes, because when you're 16 years, 17 years old, you're hypnotized by hormones, and this grown-ass man comes along. Wait, she dated him when she was... She was very young. Mm, that's she, It was an inappropriate relationship, for sure. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's why. I thought she was like a full, like a full adult no. in possession of her faculties who was like, hey, John Mayer... Uh, seems skeevy, but I don't know. Maybe I can change him. No, I will go back and co- I will come back with a retraction with the exact details. Because okay. w- look, we need we a need time. Oh, we should probably just say she was of age. So, so it wasn't. She like, wasn't. She was eighteen. Yeah. So okay. he wasn't. He wasn't like, hey, high school age Taylor Swift. I'm John Mayer. I've been a singer songwriter right. since mm. I don't know about the 1950s. At let this me point. Re- let me retract. Let me let me come back with it with a full on retraction yeah, we with need some a actual timeline. details. I will get. I will. You know. I will get the Swifties. Okay. I'm calling the, the lawyers. Please. Okay. Please. So John Mayer. You gotta get this right. We're not but, accusing you of anything, but being a bad boyfriend at this point. But you're on notice. But let's also remember that he is canceled alone for writing Your Body is a Wonderland about Jennifer Love Hewitt. Because that's just... Why, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I know we're in the outro of this, but he wrote that song about Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yes, girl, you didn't know that? No. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, Brad, you've done it before, so go ahead and put Your Body is a Wonderland to take us out. I know. He gets mad every time, but you know what? It comes up. It comes up. And, yes, it's absolutely about Jennifer Love Hewitt. Well... We don't have time to uh, unpack that on Mike, but, but that was we'll a be party of two. If anybody got oh, that reference, God, I will send you a two. Rice Krispie treat. Oh my God, you're going to be sending out a lot of Rice Krispie <laughs> treats. Uh, anyway, um, yep. How about yep? When did when did that song come out? Like 2004, 2003? I don't know. I will do a whole. You know what I see in our future? An entire John Mayer retractions. I'm making note of it now. Early early 2000s. Jennifer Love You It though. I can see it. Yeah, I'd write it. I'd write a. I'd write a cheesy kind of weird song about her. Ugh. Yeah, it just. I'd do it. That leaves a bad taste. I'd write. A, I'd write a real good song about Jennifer <laughs> Love Hewitt, circa two thousand three. 
or uh, whatever. This is no slight to Jennifer Love Hewitt. I mean her no mind. I think she's probably a lovely human being who's now, I think, mostly doing Lifetime movies. But I don't actually don't think that anybody wants that skeezy-ass, nasty-ass song written about them. Truly. Hmm. Regardless, I'm Harry Styles. You're Jason Sudeikis. Thanks Sude- to our sponsor, Revelator, Revelator Coffee. Coffee. Um, who would never play Your Body is a Wonderland in, Ever. in their coffee shop. Um, I, we, we I, distracted once, oh, by, I did a this, Google image search of Jennifer Love Hewitt. Is her body a wonderland? Listen, this is the longest outro ever, but I just have to say that at one point, no, at one point in time, <laughs> at one point in time when we were eating at the Essential, a friend of mine, they were playing John Mayer. It was on. It was a granted. It was on like some kind of a you know six or seven different so, you know artist playlist kind of rotation, and so John Mayer would come on, and then a couple other songs, and then John Mayer. And she said, "Is there anything else I can get you?" And my friend said, "Yes, absolutely. Could you please make get John Mayer?" off of the playlist <laughs> and the server was like that is so fair like yeah. she wasn't even mad about it she was just like absolutely that is a absolutely fair complaint to have and I will do something about it right away uh, thanks to our <laughs> friends here at Boutwell Studios for putting up with this tangent uh, and all of our tangents all the time and making us sound good and thank you for putting up with me mentioning John Mayer more times than anybody should ever mention ever 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 it's alright sidewalkfest.com come see a movie with us at the sidewalk cinema get them tickets now we got a lot of good stuff playing see you later batwell studios podcast division your words our expertise